0: You've got to go into the relationship with the CEO understanding that they're probably not going to understand a lot of the things that you're doing. I think where you have to be aligned is on your values. And so I think that is incredibly important, probably the most important thing when you are going into a new job and trying to decide if this is the right role for you on on both sides of the equation.
1: That was Chime SVP of people and talent Beth Steinberg. In this episode Beth shared her deep wisdom on all things leadership and people including what drew her to the field advice she has for CHROs and CPOs in new roles who are building relationships with their CEOs and executive peers and what she's building at Chime and we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. support for the redefining hr podcast comes from pin pin is building the world's first employee centric communications tool powering fast-growing companies like shopify rubric and sneak automate messages across the employee journey so you never miss an opportunity and your employees are supported every step of the way from onboarding to becoming a new manager and more pin helps companies communicate at scale go to pinhq.com for more information that's PYNHQ.com. Reinvent communications for the distributed workforce. And now, onto the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Redefining HR podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt and today i'm really excited to be sitting down with beth steinberg beth is the svp of people and talent at chime she's a friend we go way back and i've always appreciated her approach to leadership in the people space and so i'm really excited to finally be sitting down with her for an episode of redefining hr so beth thanks so much for coming on the podcast uh let's start off with an intro why don't you uh, just give a little bit of background on yourself for the listeners and viewers
0: Thank you, Lars, and thank you so much for, for having me here. So as as Lars said, I'm the SVP of People and Talent at Chime. Uh, Chime is a financial services company that is aiming to make things better for everyday people um, through our products and services. And I have been with Chime for, gosh, about two and a half years, a little over two years. And I've had a lot of roles prior prior to coming at Chime at both Fortune 500 companies and emerging companies. Uh, those companies include Sunrun and Brightroll and Facebook in the early days and then larger companies like Nordstrom, EA and, and Nike. Um, I would say, you know, I'm a builder of things. I like to solve hard problems. I don't like to have a... Playbook. I like to try to do things in a different way that's that's going to make an impact. Um, and that's a little bit about me.
1: Yeah. And so you, you mentioned some of the companies you've worked at over your career. I know you started your career uh, at Nordstrom, and you've spent your entire career in HR. Like, let's go to the beginning. Like, what what originally drew you to HR?
0: Yeah. Well, at Nordstrom, I didn't start in HR. I I started in you know a number of different sales positions through college and then buying positions. And during, during that time I was in college and then I went to graduate school and I was aiming to get my master's and PhD in clinical psychology. I really thought my entire life, I I'd be a, a clinical psychologist. My, uh, some of my family members who I admired greatly were in the field and, and, um, I thought it would be a great place for me. And as I was in graduate school with kind of zero life experience, um, you know, very young, I realized that I needed more work experience and life experience to be a good therapist. And at that time, Nordstrom was opening up a new region in the Midwest Um, in the Chicago area, and they asked me if I would be interested in going and opening up the new region. And I decided to take a chance and do it. So I I moved from sunny San Diego, where I was in graduate school, to uh, freezing Chicago in the middle of winter. But it happened to be an, an incredible move for me because I was able to Learned so much about, you know, building companies around good cultures, hiring um, in such a short time period. And and at Nordstrom, you know, during my time there, I probably hired over 10,000 employees, um, trained, you know, thousands of, of managers and was really able to understand how important it is to align your values with the company that you work at. So that was my um, HR origination story. Well,
1: as you mentioned, uh, you know, early days at Facebook, uh, Electronic Arts, Zenefits, Nike, uh, you have a roster of companies that you've worked for. Uh, I'm going to take Chime off the table for this next question, just for fairness. Um, but looking back in your career, what what role do you think you had the most fun in and, and what made it so special for you?
0: I've had a lot of great roles and, and work with so many great leaders. I, I feel in, incredibly grateful for that. I really think the role that made a just huge impact in and had an incredible amount of fun in was actually Sunrun and Sunrun um, is a residential solar company, you know, I think the largest in the United States at, at this point. But when I started at Sunrun, there were only 75 people. Uh, there was amazing people because it was such a mission-driven innovative company. I mean, that was 2011, 2012, when solar was really just, you know, in on, on the forefront of things. It was not mainstream like, like it is today. Um, and the people at Sunrun were committed like I've I've never seen before to really making an impact. Um, and because of that, you know myself and my team were able to do incredible work there. And you know I saw the power of investing in people early through you know learning and development. We redid the values at Sunrun and that was an incredibly powerful, experience to see how things evolve as a company grows. You know, it was, I think, probably some of the best work I've done in my career. And, you know, to this day, I'm incredibly close to so many employees um, at Sunrun because of bonding around such a mission-driven company and experience.
1: And you mentioned, um, you know, mission-driven and and kind of the experience of uh, the importance of being values-aligned with the business. You know, I know outside of work, you're very passionate about social causes as well. And, and as I hear you kind of describe what you really enjoyed about that, it, you can see the connectivity to being in that mission-driven values-aligned organization. Where does that come from? Where, where does your kind of passion for, for these social initiatives come from for you personally?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say when i was growing up um you know it was modeled for me from from my family from my mother who who did you know was a stay at home mother but took on a lot of work around kind of making the community better and so i i saw that as a a model for me and then i just you know a couple things i think transformed my way of thinking about it you know when I was at Nordstrom in the early days I was incredibly fixated on my work and my career and in a way that was likely unhealthy and I had you know a moment where I said to myself what am I doing you know this is I'm I've become such a one-dimensional, Person and I'm not doing the things outside of work that I have a lot of skill in and um, ability to do. And I decided, you know, that I was going to change that. And so I started doing a lot of work in the Chicago community. In it's no longer there, but in the Cabrini Green housing project. And I just, you know, am a happier and better human being when I am investing my time in the pursuit of helping other people, you know, also be successful. And so it is now a very big part of my life. Um, I spend a lot of my outside time uh, on on things that are important to me. Um, some of them I bring to companies That I work with. Uh, One of the programs that I've been heavily involved in is a program that is from the State Department called Tech Women. And that program inspires women in Africa, in Central Asia, and the Middle East to be in the STEM fields. Um, And, you know, it's just an incredibly powerful program that. Transforms economies of of countries when women are in the workforce and are productive members of the workforce and women come to the US um, from those countries and learn about how we do things here and gain experience and mentorship and then they go back to their home countries and inspire others to do so. And so I'm bringing that program to Chime um, this spring and I've had the incredible opportunity to travel on behalf of the State Department to a number of different countries, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tunisia, Kenya, Rwanda, some others, to advocate um, for women in the STEM fields, in for local governments, universities, and with the U.S. Embassy. So as you can tell how I get so animated when I talk about this, it's just an incredible uh, part of my life. And, you know, I, I don't try to focus on happiness. I know that might seem a little strange to people. I find that I am happiest when I'm doing things that are meaningful. And so that's what I really try to focus on in my life.
1: Yeah. You know, I think one of the last times we actually met in person was maybe a week or so before one of your last trips, uh, you know, for the state department. So I I think I remember talking about that. Uh, you know, one thing I'd love to get your, your perspective on as well, I think when you look at the the broader kind of environment that we are in, and by we I mean, you know, society, HR, there are lots of uh, of big kind of uh, flashpoint events that have been happening over the last couple of years. The pandemic, obviously, uh, the murder of George Floyd, the conversation around Black Lives Matter, you know, political discourse and turmoil, both domestically and, and globally and i think it puts the the role of a of a cpo of a chro you know in a unique position as they help their executives and their ceo and frankly their employees navigate those waters and i'm just curious like from your perspective what advice do you have for for people leaders in those similar scenarios because i think it, there's a lot of cases lately where you know the the hr chief has kind of been pushed to the forefront Almost as a spokesperson, in some cases, over the CEO. And I know some people are are made for that, and they want to be in that position. Others are not, and it's difficult for them to be so. So I'd love to just get your perspective if you have any advice for for people leaders navigating those waters.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I think obviously in these last few years we've had such um, a unique situation for people in my role with so much happening externally, um, as as you mentioned, and I think. You know, for me, what I like to try to think through is, you know, what is important to the employees of Chime? You know, what is important to our members? Those are our customers. And, you know, giving people internally a voice. I I don't necessarily believe in shutting down you know, discussion and discourse. I think that is good, good for companies. I know some other companies have decided, you know, that is not in their ethos to do so. Um, But when I think about the values of Chime and the mission of Chime, it does align for us. And so that's, you know, the frame, the framework that I use is, is it a issue or a subject that is important internally and important to our members externally. And, you know, sometimes it's hard because things come up and, you know, every, you know there are a lot of things going on in the world that are incredibly important right now. And, um, you know, we've had to decide at Chime what are some of the things that we're going to speak about publicly, both internally and externally, and what are those things that, you know, we're not um and i think you need to come up with a framework in inside your company and you know kind of stick to that and be open and transparent with your employees about it so they understand where you're where you're coming from when you're choosing to speak and when you're when you're choosing not to speak
1: i think that that's great advice i think that'll be helpful for uh for a lot of leaders who are listening and, and maybe you know maybe they're experience maybe they're in this role for the first time and they haven't had to make these kind of decisions. They haven't had to guide their um, their C suite kind of peers through some of these um, situations. So I appreciate that. Um, you mentioned you know you've been at Chime for two years. You gave a bit of an overview of of kind of what Chime does. You've grown quite a bit in that two year period. We so sure have. Walk me through the growth, and then walk me through like as as a leader. Like how do you think about designing your kind of people operating systems to scale?
0: So, you know, Chime, we've grown incredibly quickly. So when I started with the company a little over two years ago, we were about maybe not quite 200, but close to 200. And today we are probably north of 1,300. And so the majority of the growth of the company has happened, you know, during the pandemic, which is, you know, certainly a challenge in itself. And... When I started with the company, I think there were three other people on on the people side of things and about 15 people on the talent side and now combined we're about 80 people. So, you know, my team has grown considerably. And how I like to think about scale is not to think about today, but to think about tomorrow and to try to prepare systems and process and set up the organization in a way that is going to be prepared for what is next and not you know constantly on our heels so a couple of examples of, of that and things that i think that we did at chime that were turned out to be very good decisions albeit potentially controversial at at the time Um, You know, I brought in a people partner function early, HR business partner function uh, as it's more commonly known, and I think that was a really smart decision. I brought in two very senior people, one on the tech side, one on the non-tech side, and that really gave my team the ability to understand the business um, very intimately, to develop close relationships with leaders, And to really prove that this department is about driving business outcomes. Um, And so I think that was a, a great early move that we did. We also brought in talent operations, employment brand, and people analytics early. And, you know, again, we did that because we were really thinking about the future and Chime was not known at all when I joined and, you know, we really had to amplify our brand in a very systematic way. Um, I rely heavily on data and as my talent leader, Jeff Winter does. And so us having that capability in house early, I believe did a lot of great things It helped us prove out, you know, decisions that we wanted to make based on the data. It made us incredibly efficient around things like capacity planning for recruiting. It gave us the ability to share people metrics across the company early, you know, to demonstrate what we were doing well and where we need had gaps as a company. And so, you know, I think some of those early investments make a very big difference. And I think the, the other early investment we made um, first financially, and then by building out the function was around leadership development. And I often find that companies that are emerging do not want to spend the resources, the time, the money to develop leaders. And You know, I think that is a huge mistake. I I say this all the time. Leadership is a skill and a craft. It must be learned. It must be practiced, just like any other competency um, that you want people to have. And if you don't do that, you will end up playing cleanup on aisle five more than you will you know really helping to move the business forward so those are a lot of you know kind of my tips of of what you do early i would say i'm fortunate that you know my my boss the my ceo and our co-founder um they supported me in this to be honest i think they were like i have no idea what she's doing right now but <laughs> let's let her do it and see what happens um, because I did get the financial, I was able to make the case to get the financial investment to do it. Um, but I think all people leaders should build a business plan like anybody builds a business plan. And, you know, sell that plan and, you know, make sure that you're clear about the return on investment. And, and that's what we did at Chon. Hey,
1: everyone. I'm excited to introduce you to the new Amplify Accelerator platform. The Amplify and redefining HR ecosystem have evolved quite a bit over the last two years, starting with a podcast, growing to a book, and now leading to a full platform aimed at developing and supporting the next generation of Chief People Officers. You know, the mission of Amplify is accelerating innovation at scale, and we now do that through HR executive search services, cohort courses, communities, jobs, and media. That includes the podcast and the book. So you can check all of this out at amplifytalent.com. And now back to the show. I think it's so valid in terms of the business plan to be able to justify the dollars because conceptually, very few CEOs are going to be like, no, I don't really, you know, we don't really care about leadership development. We don't really care about, you know, being able to recruit more effectively. We, you know, all these things, like it's easy to say like, yes, conceptually, we should do that. It's another thing to write a check to do that. And I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective, because I think making that business case for investment uh, is not typically a skill that is in any HR curriculum, right? Like we're, we're typically learning that On the fly. So what have you found to be effective? Like when you're trying to craft that, that business case for investment in those programs, are there any, you know, models that you use? Are there any particular, uh, you know, data or ways that you kind of frame the outcomes you're working towards that, that make that more effective?
0: Yeah. I, you know, I, I've not thought about it in that way before, but I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure there is. I mean, first of all, I think my team is very clear and was very clear from day one on what the company could count on us to do and um you know we take that responsibility very seriously in terms of making the case we use a lot of data at chime and we measure the effectiveness of our programs some of them we, you know, we have the quantitative ability to see what difference it's making through things like looking at engagement scores. You know, for example, I can prove out through our engagement survey that leaders who participated in one of our learning, learning and development programs or coaching programs had an average of seven points higher. Than leaders who did not. And on some questions around um, giving feedback up to nine points higher on average. So I really try to say with data, you know, what we are doing is working and we just need to stay the course. Other things that we've done, and I've I've done this throughout my career, is ask the opinions of others. And, you know, after when we have a program, when we're thinking through different programs that we're doing, we ask people, um, you know, we get a small group of trusted people together and say, hey, this is how we're thinking about approaching performance management. And here's why. What do you think about that? And, you know, I think it does a lot of things. A, it gets you buy-in and, you know, support across the organization, It can give you insight that perhaps you didn't have before. And I think it provides some champions for us throughout the organization. And then we always ask, how did it go? You know, we do, like I said, we do a lot of surveying of, you know, the effectiveness of the programs that we put out. And so, you know, I think you just have to think about your role um, just like any other role that you have to make sure you are driving the success of the business and you're able to prove through data that what you're doing is ac- actually accomplishing that.
1: Yeah. I think that's, that's great advice. And especially, you know, being able to bring the actual results of programs you've already launched. So you can specifically say, like, here's the difference. Like it's, it's clear. It's right here. The data, these numbers are you know tell the story better than uh than just an anecdote um you know you, you've worked with a lot of ceos over your career and i think especially now like the the relationship between the, the the hr executive and the ceo is instrumental on both sides right for both the ceo and for the head of hr and so i'm curious like the the job market as you know right now in hr is, is white hot, we've never seen anything like this. And so many companies are, are either upgrading their people executives or hiring people executives at a much earlier stage, even at the A stage, right? Where maybe they hadn't in the past. Um, what advice do you have for people who are maybe moving into that role for the first time, second time? Um, how should they be trying to really uh, you know, position themselves and maybe invest in those relationships with their CEOs so they can have uh, a productive outcomes for the business and the team and the and the organization.
0: Yeah, I you know, I think y- you've got to go into the relationship with the CEO understanding that they're probably not going to understand a lot of the things that you're doing. And um, you know, I think where you have to be aligned is on your values. And, you know, I, I would highly recommend to any person uh, going, going for a role in being a, a chief people officer or a leader of people, if you and your CEO are not aligned on what you think is important in terms from a values perspective, it is never, ever going to work. And, you know, I think what I find is certainly there are things that my CEO and I disagree on. And, you know, we come from different perspectives on it, on a number of different things. Um, Sometimes I change his mind. Sometimes he changes my mind. But at the end of the day, I know who he is as a human being. I know what his values are as a human being. And so that allows us, I think, to find common ground, even when we may not you know, want to approach the problem in the same way. And so I think that is incredibly important, probably the most important thing when you are going into a new job and trying to decide if this is the right role for you on, on both sides of the equation.
1: Yeah. You know, and I think it's interesting for, for whatever reason, when I was, when, you know, we kind of scheduled this podcast, I was thinking back to a conversation we had at one point, and this was years ago. I don't remember when, um, but it was about the importance of courage as, as an HR leader. And you you made a comment that, that still kind of resonates with me. It was just, you know, sometimes as an HR leader, you need to know when it's time to kind of stand up from the table, throw your key card across the table and, and walk away. And I think, especially in this incredibly, uh, you know, complex world that we're in right now, that value alignment, you know, I think that's great advice in terms of that connection with the CEO needs to be there. But like, as, as a people leader, when do you know, like, when do you know it's time to leave? When, when do you know? And maybe, you know, maybe it's like a clear event that is a conflict and it's like, yes, this is insurmountable. Maybe it's slow creep where you're like, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, but then you run out of benefits of the doubt, right? Like when do you, when do you know it's time to move on?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a, a good question and a, and a, and a complicated one. I, you know, I would say for myself, um, I, have, there's, there's a tool that, that I use in my company called the IDI, which is a inventory of, of, um, where you get your energy. And there's a category that's called irreproachability, which is, you know, sort of what it sounds like, like, you know, you, you live by a certain doctrine. Um, I'm 99 on that. And so, you know, through the years and through my own maturity, I have had to realize that, you know, there needs to be a continuum of things of like, there's no way I'm going to ever deal with this, or maybe this is something that I can get past and help move through and and make it better. And so I think I've matured in that way over, over the years. Um... And I do think that having courage in this role is incredibly important because often and incredibly difficult, by the way, as well, you are often, you know, the only person who is telling the truth to the senior leaders. Um, You know, most everything good and bad that is happening in the company. And I think it's, you know, I think It is one of the things that makes this job so difficult is that you have to be able to sort through, you know, what your boundaries are around what happens in the workplace. For me, you know, things that are unethical are just like that to me is I I won't do that. I, you know, and I and that is where I would never do anything unethical and I would leave a company and have left companies um, before I, I I would be party to things that I thought were wrong or unethical. I also know courage is a privilege in many ways. And, you know, if, if you are newer in your career, if you, you know, are have not made, made money and that job is really important to you, I, you know, I realize that not everybody can take the steps that, that some people can take besides, you know, things that are ethical, which are, you know, somewhat more black and white. I think, you know, sometimes there's a point in a company where you're no longer being heard, you know, you're no longer able to make change and make impact and there might be a variety of reasons why that is. Some might be about you, some might be about the company. But I think for me, that's also a signal that there's probably someone better that can do this job than I can. So those are the two things that that I think about.
1: Yeah, and I think that's it's so interesting to kind of hear you frame it that way. And I agree with everything you said. Um I want to put one more question in front of you before we kind of move on to the lightning round. You know, you've, you've seen the industry evolve, uh, you know, quite a bit and kind of we're in this this new chapter uh, of, of of work where, you know, I'm just incredibly bullish on our future and our ability to actually write this new chapter of work together. Right. This like the future of work was yesterday. What we're building is new. And, and I'm I'm curious to get your perspective. Like when you think about What's ahead of us? What gets you, and when I say us, you know, the field of HR, what what gets you most excited?
0: Yeah, I mean, so many things. And I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, as as you have. And I think it is very gratifying for me to see that this field, you know, has had its day in, in, in many ways that, you know, the way that people in this role helped navigate companies' over the last couple of years has been incredible. I think it's taken an incredible, uh, It's it's been incredibly difficult as you and I know, many people are leaving their roles and are saying, you know, I'm not going to do this again. I think what's exciting for me is, you know, the idea of talent can be anywhere. And um, that to me is really exciting. I also think about things like, you know, are there different constructs of roles and jobs that w- that may happen in the future? Maybe somebody, you know, is an advisor to a bunch of companies but has no full-time role and they're able to add value to a lot of different companies and feel gratified by their work. So I think the way that we think about employment is likely going to change over the next, Decade or so, and I think that's really exciting. Um, I also think that you know the whole understanding that people need to continually learn and grow and acquire skills and be curious, and that's what makes somebody great at work. I think that is is really exciting, both in terms of seeing the democratization of coaching. Through some of the great, you know, platforms like, you know, Sounding Board and BetterUp that are out there. I think that is incredibly exciting. Um, and I also think it's exciting that it is no longer, you know, a taboo if you move jobs. You know, I think there's more of a realization that companies evolve, people evolve, and people are going to change jobs. And that's Okay. And I think all of those things, um, coupled with just so much amazing technology that you know was never there when I first started, is you know making these roles um, incredibly exciting over the next decade.
1: Yeah, I mean, you raise such a great point. I think on on the actual nature of work itself changing, like the profile, like uh, of work and like, what does it mean to work and how do we work? Like it's like, you know, FTEs. is, it's not the only way. And, and it's, uh, it's really interesting to see how this is going to evolve. I think that coupled with this kind of humanity shaping event of the pandemic where a lot of people, uh, you know, reoriented what their values are and what's important to them.
0: You know, both of us have a connection to, you know, mental health or ish- issues that have happened to people very close to us. I also think it's, incredibly, um, important that, that companies understand that, you know, whole people come to work and, and people who are going to have challenges. And, you know, 10 years ago, we would have never talked about the importance of mental health at work. And now you've got to, you know, if, if you want to be a desirable employer and you want employees that are, you know, focused on well-being, you you need to have those offerings for your people. And I think, you know, that's an incredibly positive change that I've also seen in the world of work.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. And I think uh, particularly even when you look at leaders, I think that for a long time, you know, your personas and not you specifically, but like leaders, like you just, you add this air, it was infallibility, said the right things, dressed the right way. And, and there's no you know, uh, no messiness, but there, there's messiness to all of us. And I think, you know, we're much more comfortable owning that. And, and I think especially in the conversation of mental health, when we as leaders can role model that behavior in from our own lives, it makes that more real and tangible and kind of, you know, creates that space where employees are more comfortable showing up that way and asking for help when they need it. Um, which which makes a huge difference. I agree. So,
0: I mean, I, I think that, you know, vulnerability used to be a taboo word, and now I, I feel like vulnerability is a superpower. It, it, I really do. Well,
1: Beth, it was awesome, you know, learning more about your career path, what you're building, and kind of sharing a lot of your uh, leadership wisdom w- with the audience. Uh, I want to shift over to the the lightning round, which we close every episode with just to help the audience get to know you a little bit better. So you are right. ready to jump in? Sure. Okay. I am checking out your Spotify playlist. Uh, who oh, will I learn are your top three artists? Hmm,
0: okay. So I am a huge fan of the band, the national. Okay. Um, they are my number one. I mean, I'm sort of crazy for the national. I also <laughs> like Julian Baker who maybe people haven't heard of, but she's an incredible singer, um, and songwriter. And then, Eddie Vedder, probably my third. I'm also a ah. yacht rock, rock fan, which I think you are too. You,
1: we share that. I remember you shared me your. Uh, you have a great Spotify playlist. I do have of, a good uh, yacht rock yes. playlist. I, yes, I am down of yacht rock. Mm-hmm. Um, shift over to TV. What yeah. was your latest uh, binge binge watch? So
0: my latest binge watch, um, I have. I like these obscure foreign dramas, so I watched a French drama called Spiral um, crime drama. And that was my latest binge also Gamora, which is a Italian crime drama. Um, I just, the last season just came out and I think I watched it all in like a 24 hour period. So, uh,
1: uh-huh. all right. I'll have to keep an eye out for those. Yeah. Um, if you weren't working in HR, I know you've done a range of things from mm-hmm. you know being a practitioner to being an advisor, mm-hmm. being an investor. Uh, I'll take all those things off the table. Yes. What would you be doing?
0: Well, I mean, I mean, I think about what I'm going to do when I retire. I could answer that, but but I, I'm also like I'm very creative as well. I like flower arranging. Maybe I would be a floral designer. Um, I make a lot of my own like homemade nocino and limoncello and craft cocktails. So maybe I would do that. Um, I think when I retire, I will be a coach and I would like to work on refugee resettlement in the United States.
1: And uh, Beth, last question for you. Uh, Who is one HR leader who you admire and why?
0: I really admire Katie Burke at HubSpot. And I think, you know, I think they've done an incredible job of scaling and keeping a really authentic, amazing culture. I really admire and have kind of followed her in the way that she engages with employees on digital formats like LinkedIn. And, you know, I think it's a very small thing to do, but makes a very big impact to people. Um, and I think she's an incredibly smart um, and thoughtful leader.
1: Yeah, I second all of that. And if you're not following Katie on LinkedIn, please do that because the way that she interacts with her employees great. Uh, and the way that she even, you know, she had a, a brilliant uh, piece that she wrote, uh, I think she's actually done a few iterations of it now, where um, proactively answering some of the questions that candidates typically yeah, have, I love that. Who are interviewing? And it's just it was great things like that. So smart, yeah. Uh, and 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 so like any any anybody watching can do that. Yeah, right? she's there, a, a very no accessible leader, that. and
0: I think that's you know that is what modern leaders look like.
1: Yeah. Well, Beth, I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on the uh, podcast, sharing your your journey and your wisdom with all of us. I appreciate it. And
0: uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to catch up live someday soon. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real honor.
1: Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.